everyone. Welcome to um, episode two of the Hardware Crew. Um, you got Andy here. Uh, we got Jamie and Harry here today as well. How are we going, guys? Good. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Today we're um, we're talking about employment issues and recruitment issues in the hardware industry. Uh, we got John McCaxel. I'm sorry, I don't, don't say that wrong. Sorry again, mate. Very close. Very close. McCaskill. McCaskill, McCaskill is it. Yeah. <laughs> He's got 20 years of experience in the recruitment industry, in specialising in the hardware industry. So I, I think with this, is, this is a very important issue to a lot of our listeners out there and, and people in the industry. There's been many businesses I've spoken to myself that uh, um, are having just crazy issues with, with recruitment, whether it be through agencies or online through Seek, just not getting people that they've hired to even turn up to their first job, uh, like to the first um, role, sorry, or just trying to find a, a good talent pool seems to be a massive issue right now. So do you want to give us a bit of a background, John? Yeah, well, well what you said is exactly what's happening. It's um, I haven't, even in my long background, I haven't seen anything like it. Uh, there's a, at the moment, uh, Seeker going through record months of number of jobs advertised. Mm-hmm and probably record lows of applicants for those jobs, uh, particularly at a starter and a middle level, uh, not so much senior appointments because that's often done through referrals or search or what we call the hidden job market. But at those other levels, there's a critical shortage of staff and you've got to find novel ways of going out and finding them and and attracting them. Yep, yep. So you're... What was your start in the industry? How did, how did you get into the recruitment industry or before the recruitment industry? How did you get into it? Uh, well, it was, um, it was an interesting one because I was at that time working for Parbury's Building Products mm-hmm. and uh, I, was, I was general manager sales there based in Melbourne and they moved to Sydney. And um, I was on a very close relationship with the managing director, a guy called Phil Cave, he was a keen runner, so it was I. We used to run together. We used to stay at each other's homes. And I said, Phil, I just can't move to Sydney. You know, my wife's uh, mum was, was crook and uh, the kids were at a stage educationally where I didn't want them to, to be uprooted from schools and all that. So I said, I, thinking he would say, no worries, John, you can operate out of Melbourne. And he said, well, when do you want to leave? <laughs> <laughs> See you later, bud. <laughs> so, so my career took a, took a sudden correction at that stage. And... Uh, I was approached by a gentleman called Philip Archer who had a business called Archer Consulting. It's still there called Archway these days. But um, And he said, I'd like you to come because you've worked in building products and hardware all your life. I want you to start a division for my business in recruitment of building products and hardware. So that's how I got into it. And after about five years with Philip, um, I thought, well, if you're going to do any good in recruitment, you need to have your own business. So I started my own business called Winners Executive Recruitment and uh, specialising in, in this industry, but not, not exclusively. We did other things as well, automotive, et cetera, and uh, architectural, commercial, but mainly building products and hardware. So, yeah, I suppose you'd say one way or another, it's uh, more years than I want to admit, but it would be certainly, uh, certainly 40, 45 years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So how do you feel the recruitment industry has changed from start to now? If you, what is the biggest changes you've seen? Oh, I think online's the biggest change. Mm-hmm. It's, um, 
you know, it used to be a very uh, regulated way of recruiting people where you traditionally just put an ad in the early general news of the age and uh, uh, stand back and hopefully go through 100, 200 applicants and uh, create a short list of people, mm-hmm. uh, interview them and then choose three or four for your, candidate, for your client to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the traditional way, but these days it's much more competitive. People, candidates are much more specific and particular in their requirements, so you have to be more creative in how you, you attract the right candidates mm-hmm. and educating your clients how to do that. So, uh, so I'd say it's changed because of online. Yeah. So you're saying obviously Seek has obviously got record amount of numbers of ads, but a record amount of low applications. At the moment, yes. At the moment, mm. yeah. So what do you feel is a good way of combating that? Is there a way of combating that at the moment or is it just the market at the moment? Um, I think the only way you can combat it is um, to be proactive mm-hmm. and, and, and actually go out and tap people on the shoulder mm-hmm. and, and, you know, try to use your networks and your database uh, to reach out to people and hope that there's somebody out there that you've caught them at the right moment and they want to make a change. That's always a hard one. And obviously poaching is always a hard one too, especially in like regional areas because you don't want to poach them from your customers and stuff sometimes. It's always been a big issue of trying to find that, especially in those smaller talent pools. Yes, it's, uh, it's something we say to our clients. You know, quite often we'll say, is there anybody you know in the industry that, that might be suitable for this role? And it's not unusual for them to say, well, we actually know, you know, Joe Smith uh, at this particular company, if we get somebody like him, it would be fantastic. But yet we can't be seen to be approaching him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's quite often that we come into the play as recruiters uh, to just keep at arm's length, uh, still hoping that Joe will apply to our ad and then the client can truthfully say we didn't approach that person. They came to us, you know, so, so that does happen. Yeah. So what would you feel is an advantage using like an employment agency over just doing obviously general ads? Like I used to use an employment agency in my business not to help me source my talent but help my vet my talent by doing um, personality testing and interviews for me as well. We, we, we do all of that and, and probably the short answer to your question is your time. You know, you haven't got time. It's a very time-consuming thing to invest in an interview process, as you say, skills testing, all of those things that go with it, um, and to have somebody do it for you when your time's valuable is, is certainly the first reason. Second reason is that the right recruiter really gets to know your business, takes the trouble to really uh, walk around with you, ask That's a lot of questions. That's an important one, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then once, once you know the client's business, it's... Um, not that hard to work out who's going to work best in that environment. And I'm a big one for cultural fit too. Yeah. So get to know the culture of the business so you know that that person's right. So I think the, the know-how and the time-saving would be the things. Yeah, because I've always had like advertiser ad on Seek and then all the local employment agencies keep throwing resumes at you but it just seems to be the ones that they'll make money out of or something like that. Yeah. That's the feeling you sort of get sometimes. But, like, obviously, like, when you're engaging with an employment agency, it's different because for that exact reason, they're knowing your business, hopefully, like, they're, they're actually doing their due diligence. Oh, yeah, and being honest enough to say to a client, I can't help you. Yeah. You know, I, I, there's nobody here. I'm not going to put somebody in front of you that I don't think is right, mm-hmm. and I haven't got one. 
Yeah, we well, won't get that client back ever again, would you, no, if that happens? No, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. So it is very much being the closeness to the client, yeah. And quite frankly, there's the other one of sometimes uh, it's a client that you don't recommend and you don't, uh, and therefore you can't put your hand on your heart to the candidate and say, this is truly a place that I feel comfortable recommending you for. Mm-hmm. And in which case you should change your client. Yeah, yeah, doing your, yeah, doing mm. the digital for your your clients on yeah. both sides. It, it, that, that's yeah, that's a good point. Just actually. integrity, really. Yeah, mm. that's exactly right. Mm. Yeah. Have you found that the world has become more specialised in an aspect in that you can't, you know, in that in terms of an employee can't just go to another business and pick it up really, really quickly because there are so many more trades. There's so many even point of sale systems can be entirely different from one business to another, even though they might sell the same goods or provide the same service and that sort of does make employment and recruiting more difficult? Yeah, look, I think a lot of companies would say that it could take a year from appointment before they feel that that person has grasped the business, particularly if it, if it is a product-based business and, and, and there's a learning curve technically. And, of course, there's often a, not so much a learning curve in terms of IT because uh, most people these days have a good grasp of there across that. But it's just the intricacies of the business, the peculiarities, you know, is knowing the market properly. So it can take up to a year, I think. And do you find, say, a difference in specialisation between a hardware business in inner city Melbourne versus a hardware business in Terrelgan, for example, or somewhere in the middle of the country? Not so much, not so much. I, I, I used to see that. I used to shudder when I went into the country and I'd walk into a hardware store, it may be in June, and see the Christmas decorations still there <laughs> and, and perhaps from the previous Christmas as well. That's not my house. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but that doesn't happen so much now. No, I, I think the, uh, the, the country people are just absolutely switched on as the city and... Uh, Probably all done the same training courses, I imagine. I think a big part of that too is also because you've got large competitors like Bunnings and, and like just bigger multinational, like large businesses coming into the area that making everyone lift their game now. Yeah, and that's a good thing. 100%, yeah. Mm-hmm. The competition's always important in yeah. business and it really helps you lift your game. Very much so. So I think, yeah, that probably when you talked about the changes uh, over those years, I probably should have said the word Bunnings because... I think in many ways uh, that, and and of course, you know, uh, now now with uh, Mitre Ten and Home, and and, and uh, the merger, uh, the quality of the management and the systems and the way the businesses are run is just so much higher. So, whether you give Bunnings full credit for that, West Farmers or not, you've got to acknowledge the fact that um, the industry has changed for the better. Yeah, I think a lot of that's obviously like compliances and businesses change and legis- like all how like the importance of contracts in businesses and stuff is so important now and obviously like back 20, 30 years ago, like you could just sort of get away, not get away with stuff, but business could be ran a differently, what different way now. Now you've got to really cross your T's, dot your I's, make sure everything's covered. I think that's also made everyone lift their game for that reason as well. Yeah, and, and, and I'm particularly interested in things like marketing and branding strategy, mm-hmm. yeah, where, where the, the company you just talked about might have an exclusive, uh, how do you market against that? You know, uh, those things interest me. And I think whether it's in Terrelgan or whether it's in the city, the switched on hardware operators are onto that. Yeah, definitely. 
Mm. Yeah, and, and that, that's obviously like, especially with independent businesses, that's what's making them so good now is because like we spoke in the last episode about becoming niche in your industry, becoming niche in your employment as well because you're becoming a lot more service orientated in these smaller businesses yes. to really focus how they're doing their sales process, focus on their ranging. It, it's, it's seeing it across every aspect of that business. Yes, and, and it's interesting to see some businesses specialising in a particular area mm-hmm. that might be relevant to the geography or it might be just what they're really good at. And, yeah, people go there because knowing that they're really good at it. We, we spoke in a previous edition of the Hardware Journal about the hire and rental aspect of a lot of independent and also the bigger box hardware stores now in the sense that they've almost become their own business inside a business. You need separate staff, you need specialised staff to actually be able to hire out that equipment, to hire out, to, you know, vet who's coming in to hire those sort of machines. And it's really, really interesting how that's even changed over the last four or five years. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that has changed. And the other thing is just the general aspect of uh, home improvement, you know, just have, having a facility for showrooms, you know, for, for white goods, appliances. It's all just sort of opened up a whole new ball game for a lot of these businesses because they are big boxes and big boxes have to have everything. And they have to have staff that understand everything and security, you know, yeah. all, all of those sort of new burgeoning growth areas. It's kind of funny how they all still fit under the same one industry, the same one store, even though they are, if anything, closer to an IT system or a computer store. In You know, you would almost think you'd almost go and find a wireless door lock. That seems to be more of an IT kind of thing, and yet we're selling it with hardware, and our hardware employees are supposed to be experts in that sort of field as well. Yep, you've got to answer the questions. And um, so, so, yeah, look, I, I think it has changed a lot in that respect, and and, and I really like that, the fact that uh, it's more generalised. But the other thing, of course, is online, you know, whether that's impacted on, probably impacted more on fashion, I think, than on hardware. And I'd like to think that hardware is still very much service-focused and, uh, you know, that, that people go there because of that reason. You know, I certainly do. I go there to get advice on what I'm going to be painting or whatever. Uh, and and I'll always find somebody that I, that will answer that question. Like the old hardware stores, you know, you'd have a bloke spend um, an hour with you talking about just a minor job you're doing at home. You don't expect that anymore, but you still expect somebody to be able to point you in the right point direction. Right, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's why there's a, a definitely a resurgence, not a resurgence, but a maybe a moving back to like the independent businesses um, and the more hardware more than away from like the supermarket hardware style business. A lot more people, especially the younger generations, are going back to these type of specialist hardware stores where they can get the advice and get the know-how on how to do like change a tap washer or because they never learned on how to do that. So it's definitely seeing everyone going back to those types of businesses. So bricks and mortar hardware will never go away. Online's definitely got to be part of the business model. Um, whether social media, which would be in another episode, or or just web e-commerce, um, but that service in a hardware store is very important. I think uh, having a good website and having a website that showcases your products is as important a step in customer service as just about anything that you can do. It's not so much the people that go on their website to buy a product, it's the people that are researching the product to know that you've got it. 100%. So many people nowadays will 
see if you've got that product in stock, see if you carry that sort of product before they even leave and before they even get mm. to the shop. And that's a massive part of customer service and that's a very, very important thing for, I would say, any industry. But even anything at all, I think they have to have it nowadays. And even if they haven't got it, they'll say, look, we haven't, but looking at the computer, I can see you could go there and get it. Mm-hmm. Back to um, sort of employment, a big dread of when you're doing employing a new person is obviously doing the interview process or going through the resumes and trying to vet the resumes. Do you have any sort of cheats, cheat codes or anything like that when you're trying to go through the resumes before you're going into the interview process? Look, I think uh, the danger that a lot of people who don't do much interviewing uh, have is they want to do all the talking. And uh, I'm sure we've all been to a job interview where... um, you sort of wonder after about 15 minutes if you're going to get a chance to talk about yourself, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I think understanding that they should be doing three quarters of the listening and a quarter of the talking about their business and then they're not going to learn about the person unless they do that. Mm-hmm. So that's the key one. And in, and if you're advertising, I would always ask that, and it sort of sounds old-fashioned, but ask for a covering letter mm-hmm. as well because... These days in recruitment, with particularly with keyword search mechanisms, you know, sometimes you'll get uh, 50 applicants and you'll think, gee, if I put the right ad in, there's just no relevance. And it's because there's been a key word that they've said to seek. If that word appears, send my resume. Yeah, okay. So you get the resume without a covering letter. So I, it, it is old-fashioned, but I like to see somebody take the trouble to address my ad. You know, I've taken the trouble to write one with all the must-haves and the would-like-to-haves. And if, if somebody's doing that recruitment, I recommend that they ask, they do that and ask for a covering letter with the resume to see who's going to take the trouble, who really is serious about wanting a job. Yeah, that, that, that's obviously a way of too finding if they're a little bit tech-savvy and stuff like that too. Yes. Like, like if, depending on the role, um, some roles don't have to be as savvy with technology, but if it's someone, like if they can't write a covering letter, like you obviously sort of know where they sort of sit as That's well. Right. Yeah, I think it gives you that insight. Yeah. yeah. You can't always prejudge that, but it, mostly it's a good guideline. Yeah, yeah. I think like the best job interviews or interviews I've been a part of, like what you said, it's been a conversation because obviously hiring for me, especially in, in businesses, was always personality is the biggest important factor when I'm hiring a person because you can train any aspect in the business. Um, but if their personality is a dud from the start, it's going to be a dud in 12 months. You can't change that. And then that affects your culture and your business as well. So the personality and culture fit is very important. Absolutely it is. And and sometimes it's hard to get that at an interview, uh, first interview. Yeah. Uh, I'm a great believer in relaxing people as soon as you meet them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you might look at their resume and, and say skydiving. Mm-hmm. You, you do skydiving, you know, are you crazy? Why do you do that? <laughs> and they get talking about something that they love. Yeah, show, find what their passion is. Yeah, and uh, when they're talking about that, they're relaxing. And when they're relaxing, you still ask the hard questions, but you're going to get better answers. The best interview that I was ever a part of when I was going for a job was when it just happened so that the guy was Welsh and he'd read that I played rugby on my resume and first 10 minutes of our interview was literally just yeah. spent talking about the last Wallabies Wales game. And even though it may not be job-specific, I learned a lot about him and the kind of business philosophy of that company and he learned a lot about me. And even and I think a cover letter is very important as well because a resume is is never going to be, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be specific to one industry and 
a resume is very dot point, it's very short, whereas a cover letter can also, you know, can show, and it's not just a writing ability, but it's a ability to transfer what they think they know or that they know about themselves to your specific industry, to your specific job, and how that sort of relates to what they might end up doing in the future, working for you. You can't put any personality in a resume, because mm. like it's got to be a, a list of of what your job is and like what you, what you can do. And then your cover letter is what you can bring to that business. And that's a good example. The the Welsh one is a good example because that employer has taken the trouble to learn more about you, mm. but he's also letting you know a little bit more about him. About, yeah, yep. And, uh, yeah, there's no point in going any further unless the fit's right. Mm. And I, I found that as well. An interview can be a loaded process to an extent because if you have somebody that is as nervous as hell in an interview, but they might be the best employee ever. You'll never know that because they were nervous in the interview. Mm. And the best thing you can do is get them off guard, let them put their, you know, let them get their guard down and make them feel comfortable because then you then you see the real them to an mm. extent and you can see their strengths that they can bring to your business. Be yourself. Particularly, you know, if it's a, if it's a retail or a customer service, uh, that, that's what the customer's going to see. So... Um, you want them to be themselves and you want them to take an interest in their customers as mm. well. Do you feel that um, off-site interviews work better than having them in your office? No, I think the other way. I, I rather like them to come where they're going to work because mm. for that reason they get a bit of an idea of the culture and the atmosphere. You know, uh, I, I quite often ask a client if I can do my interviews at their premises in the boardroom or whatever and I love to hear a bit of banter. I love to hear a bit of laughter. And I love it when two or three people come up to them while they're waiting and say, can I help? Yeah, it shows the culture and then also it shows what they expect from exactly, the people yeah, for, the, yeah. for the job role. And maybe you'll even have, you know, some products on display that they can, you walk in and they're looking at the products and reading the packages mm-hmm. and you think, well, they're, they're, this person's fair dinkum. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I went for a job interview a very long time ago and like, I felt I had to research the company before I went, like so that I knew what the because it was a completely different industry I'd never been in before. So, like, I think that's definitely a good way. Like, if they're, they're reading the packaging and stuff, they're trying to get involved with that industry, and then if they're talking to the staff already, you know, their guards down already when they're coming into the interview. You'd be amazed though how many people don't do what you did. Um, oh, I know because I've, I've, I've interviewed a few people and they got no idea what they were. And, and when you ask the question, well, yeah, what do you know about us? Uh, nothing. Yeah. But it's knowing about the competitors of that business too. So you, can, like, you can admire their honesty though in that. Nothing. I think it's important for like, yeah, if they're coming in understanding the industry but then also the business they're going for but then obviously the competitors of that business, the, the issues with the business, I think it really shows how much they want to be involved in that industry. It does. And uh, so they, they, they're the interviewing side. So that's the interviewing side of it and then, you know, it's really nice if uh, if a company has, and a lot of them don't, uh, have an induction process as well. So if somebody is coming on board, you know, they can see there's a program and a system where they uh, they learn about the business at all aspects. That just shows professionalism. Yeah, I used to um, have a, like a, not a buddy program, but essentially a buddy program. Try and pair them up in certain yeah. departments in the area through, because induction's always hard. Like it's sort of just walking around the store going, there's a dunny. There's a trade yard, this yeah. is a truck. That's the thing that cuts things. Like, it, it, I think the buddy system works quite well Great when they can shut the shadow someone yeah. for a day or an hour just, or so. Just keeping an eye out for them. Yeah. And it, was, it takes a lot of time and effort and sometimes money 
to get people. So you want to keep them. Mm. Yeah, if you can throw everything at them without overwhelming them. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So most people approaching you at the moment, what's, is there a, an age spread that, like is there a certain generation that's hitting you a lot more or is it a, just everyone? Uh, look, no, I, I would say it's mainly people in the sort of 25 to 40 range. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, a lot of them are questioning, a lot of them are absolute customer service professionals. They love what they do. They enjoy the interaction with customers. They're really good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're seeing that it's not the most reliable career for them. Yeah, and that's what COVID showed, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then they, so they're looking at that forever job sort of. Like I that, think so. Yeah, that, I think that's that, they're of... looking for a more secure environment. And, yeah, from what you're telling me within in, in the hardware industry, there are quite a few of those opportunities. People who want somebody that wants to make a career with them. 100%. Like, like, obviously, the hardware industry was a very lucky industry over COVID that mm. were able to operate yeah. quite freely still, like with restrictions. Um, but employment was 100%. The biggest issue for a lot of stores is they just couldn't meet the demand yes. needed in their business just because they couldn't find that talent pool. Yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but could it be also because there's a lot of people looking to work from home and you can't do that at a hardware store? I think that's definitely a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah, like obviously you can have your admin people working from home if your business, if your system can allow for cloud base. But you're definitely like a, obviously a hardware store, is a, as we've been talking, it's service orientated, so you have to be in front. Yeah, or store store based. Yeah, well, I mean, I certainly I know what you say is right, and in COVID, some companies have done extremely well. You know, you've only got to look at uh, uh, you say you say retail hardware. Clearly, I've done it myself. You're wandering around home thinking, "Geez, I should paint the bathroom." <laughs> or, uh, you know, I didn't realise how shabby that looked. I've got to do something about that. But uh, or office works, of course, you know, would be another example. But one of my clients is in the paint spraying equipment area and and, and for that reason their, their retail business has just gone through the sky, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. But then there's others who, who like hospitality that have gone the other way. So maybe it's a case of picking up people with the skill set from those areas that are struggling and put them into the areas where the opportunities are. We did speak about it last episode, but... Um and it's it's not something that a lot of business owners are happy to sort of bring up straight away. But do you think that there is a chance that the employment that this employment shortage could be solved with financial incentives, higher salaries, higher pay packets? And it's you know you do normally get what you pay for when you can afford it. You normally get better staff when you do pay them more. Uh, look, no matter what you're talking about, where there's a shortage in one area. It inflates salaries, of course, uh, and that will happen because there is a shortage and companies really want to get the right people so they'll have to pay more or, or incentivize them in some way. But um, I, I think at the moment the people we're, to, we're hearing from, uh, the incentive for them is having security and, and a full-time job. Of course they want to be paid for it. Of course they want to put food on the table, but... Yeah, they'll often say, look, my, my main motivation is not money. I think that's like, like you're saying, the hospitality industry definitely would be an interesting one for the hardware to tap into. I think so, yeah. Especially because they, they can obviously deal with stress very well. Yes. Um, yeah. So that, that, that's, I never even thought about that. That's, mm. that's quite an interesting one. There's some good read, like um, restaurant managers out there and stuff like that that would, that would absolutely kill in a hardware store setting. And the other thing is the hours, you know. Oh, yeah, sometimes, the hours would be uh, a lot more pleasant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of them would be, um, you know, working quite late, not seeing the families and 
So it might be a much more uh, user-friendly environment in, in, in a hardware. Yeah, I've, I've got a mate who's been 15 years a bartender and he quit his job January to start a, a, a chippy apprenticeship. So yeah. that's the exact Man, reason. For that reason, yeah. Yeah, that exact reason. Like mm. he's just like, I'm done, like, mm. that's, which is fair enough. Totally understand it. Yeah, that's mm. exactly all right. So obviously, like we've we've spoken of obviously about the interview process and then the the resume process and stuff like that. So after you've hired someone, how important do you feel like um, trial periods are, or uh, like how how um, do you think you, that should be managed in a business? The, the legal the legal interpretation of that is normally three months. It used to be six months, but um, yeah, I think when somebody's been on, if you call it a trial period or whatever you want to call it, for six months, I think when it's been tested in court, uh, they've been uh, uh, taken as a full-time employee after six months. So the guarantee periods now tend to be probably more like three months and even then it could be questioned whether, well, after three months, you know, you're sort of part of the furniture. So you might have, might have a case for wrongful dismissal and not that you'd hope that would ever happen, but it does. Mm-hmm. And but it, you know, the re- the best reason to avoid that happening is not the guarantee period. It's making sure they're happy doing what they're doing. Do you think it's important to like say like after two weeks or a month have a check in meeting with them? Going, do you like oh, yeah. your, like your job or do you hate your job? Just yeah. like go, is this for you? Before we invest too much in you in each other, I should say. Do you feel that's the right oh, thing? To be I, I definitely do. I think. Um, even on a weekly basis when somebody's just joined, mm. just to say, look, I'm just uh, doing a recap with you. you know, is it everything that we told you it would be? Is there anything that, you know, you're concerned about that we can rectify? Uh, we want you to be happy mm-hmm. and and give them some feedback as to how they're doing. Yeah, if they don't know if they're doing wrong, yeah. they don't know. Yeah. Like so just, I, I think a regular recap is a good thing. Yeah, I think touch points, like once you've, You've hired someone is very important. Definitely, most definitely. And and then having those regular meetings to say, are you liking your job? Is it what you expect, or do you want more work? Some people might come in going, "This is too easy," and they're the type of people I think you got to get in front of really early because then you can just keep throwing stuff at them. Like we we're talking in the last episode, delegation. Yeah, well, kind of. We try to do that in the interview process, uh, and a question we all often ask of somebody before they're employed is. What sort of managing style do you respond best to? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you soon know whether it's a person who wants to be comfortable with routine, or it's a person who wants to be challenged. And uh, you know, and we would feed that back to the employer, saying this this person that you've just put on is going to need stimulation. And uh, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea every now and again to throw a particular challenge to them, and then tell them what a great job they did with it. Yeah. I think that's a generational thing as well. It is. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely part of it as yeah. well. Yeah. Like you've got to keep the, the like the millennial down sort of stimulated and sort of just keep, again, regular touch points Yes, as yeah. part of that as well. A good manager will do that. Yeah, yeah, and the banter obviously in a business and personality of the business all affects that as well. It does. Yeah, it does. And if you, if you see that banter and people looking like they want to be there, then, you it's know, a that, culture. That, that, that is yeah. the culture, yeah. Exactly right, yeah. The culture fit and personality fit is very important. Mm. I don't think that we can. I don't think that we can overstate just how important good training is in terms of trial periods and in terms of employees feeling comfortable in their new workplace. 
if you're not trained well, there's a fair chance you're going to fail your trial period. And you might think that as an employee, that's a failure on your behalf, but it can often just, you know, it can often as much just be a failure on the manager's behalf by not showing you the ropes well enough, by not engaging with you well enough, by not training you well, by not teaching you how to do your job well enough. Yeah. Nobody can do a job without being told how to do the job. And I know it sounds simple, but, you know, not everybody has the same knowledge at the same point in their lives. It's somebody that's worked 25 years in a trade will walk into a hardware store knowing how to do certain things better than somebody who is fresh off the block, somebody that has come from, say, a hospitality background or somebody who is just starting their first job. They're not going to know the same. They're not going to have the same base level knowledge. Uh, it's a, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think the ideal is to have a mentor. And, you know, quite often, again, I'll say to somebody, have you had a, been fortunate to have a good mentor in life? And most people will say, well, yes, to my mum or my dad. Uh, a lot of them will say it's a previous boss that they particularly had a strong relationship with. The danger of that, I mean, it's wonderful to have a mentor within the business, but the danger is if the mentor is somebody that's been there a long while and done things a certain way, then they think that uh, that's the way that person's got to do it. So you don't want to crush the initiative and uh, the creativity of the person. So the mentor needs to be somebody that's open to that creativity as well. I think Bill Gates did once say, very tongue-in-cheek, that you always give a hard job to the laziest person because they'll find the most efficient way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I don't know how seriously it's meant to be taken, but there's, you know, there is a point in it. It's different minds, different mindsets will come up with a different solution to the same problem. Not a silly man, Bill Gates. Not at all. <laughs> He's done all right with himself. He has done okay, yeah. yeah. I used to find a, a good way of finding trainees, like straight out of school, was go to the local career councils in a lot of the high schools. Um, I found a few good ones back where I was from that where they would actually vet the students as well and say, look, this one's interested in going into building industry, so you'll have them for a couple of years or, or whatever, and... I found that was a really good way because I was sort of say they got good math scores, they got this. So it was a good way of finding people straight into the workforce. Yeah, at, at the beginner level, that's a, that's not a bad approach at all. But even at the senior level, you know, and I know it happens, is that um, you know, with uh, buyers and category managers within the hardware industry, quite often a supplier will go to them, say, "Look, unfortunately, um, we're going to have to make a replacement." You know, with our our, our key account manager or our uh, uh, national sales manager, who do you know within the industry that you think um, you know, might be looking to make a change? And quite often they they are because the buyers and the category managers, of course, get pretty close to their suppliers, which is why they move them around so often so they don't get too close to their suppliers. So they don't get poached. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get poached. But quite often that's, that does happen, you know, that they'll say, well, you might talk to so-and-so. Uh, so again, the hidden job market. Uh, so that, that that's the first thing to try before. But then, if you're struggling, I think you have to unfortunately put up with somebody like me to come in and help. Do you think um, social media is obviously a massive part of using like sort of Facebook and Instagram, and then also using like LinkedIn as like the professional social media platforms? That's obviously all, it's all got to be a round approach. I uh, I'm not so sure about Facebook, but um, certainly LinkedIn. Yeah, and uh, you know. We're, more and more we would be filling jobs through LinkedIn Professional. Yep. Uh, because quite often you'll see people there who are between jobs. Yep. And uh, they are, they're raring to go. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think LinkedIn more so than the other platforms you mentioned. Yep. 
All righty, cool. I really appreciate that, John. That was absolutely excellent. I really appreciate your knowledge. I love it. Love it to talk to you all. Yeah, thank that, you, John. That was a really good thank episode. You. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, our next episode that we're coming up is um digital marketing and social media marketing. Having a chat to uh to Jim Radford, um, seeing if you guys missed the boat or how we go about it, how to manage reviews, how to manage ads which will be really interesting for a lot of businesses out there because it's obviously a massive part of a lot of people's marketing programs. So I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks to Jamie and Harry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.